If you are new around here, we often preach through whole books of the Bible, but over the next couple of weeks, we are taking some time to talk about something uh, that I believe and we believe as a staff is critical for our church to be effective in fulfilling our mission in this community and not just our, our church, but for each one of us as individual believers to be effective in fulfilling the mission that God's given us in the world. The reason why after you became a follower of Jesus, you were saved. He didn't just like poof, beam you up, right? He left you here, and he left you here for a purpose. And to get there this morning, I just want to tell you a quick story that's kind of weird, and um, then we'll go on from there. So right out of uh, school, I went to this um, program called Youth with a Mission Discipleship Training School, and I picked a really um, hard place to go do my discipleship training school. I picked a place where I would go suffer for Jesus. I picked Maui. And it was awesome. It was an amazing time. We learned so much. But one of the experiences um, I had there that really was kind of strange for me and uh, disconcerting, I remember one night we were, uh, my, my best friend went with me, and we, we went over, and we were praying. They had a prayer room upstairs and kind of this other room in the basement of this place, this kind of little hippie town uh, on the North Shore of Maui, a really cool spot. And as we were there, uh, we, we went up into the prayer room, and some of the leadership of the base uh, was praying and ministering to one of the young ladies uh, that was there. And she was down in the basement of this place. And um, basically, there was some sort of spiritual presence, demonic presence, that was oppressing her. And as we prayed in this upper room, my friend and I, um, we heard these non, like, not human noises and sounds coming from that bottom room. And it was a little freaky. You're like, that is a little freaky. Why is the pastor starting by telling us this weird story? Um, well, for a couple of reasons. And let me just say, I'll finish the story here in just a minute. Because in the scripture, um, we are told that our battle is not against flesh and blood. That there's a deeper spiritual reality going on. And it's so easy for us to forget in our culture. You know, Jesus talks about the enemy, that there is a real enemy, that there's two kingdoms, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, and the kingdom of darkness. And, and the kingdom of darkness will not prevail, but the kingdom of darkness is trying to take out as many people as it can in the process. In fact, he says the enemy is there to steal, kill, and destroy. And you can't look around the world without recognizing that there is really the presence of evil. And some of it, not just bad people, some of it, it's, it's really demonic. It's really evil. You can't look around the world without seeing that. And I, I think I've traveled to a lot of nations around the world, some that are animistic, which means um, basically they believe that demons and spirits kind of animate everything. And so they have no problem uh, believing in or experiencing this spiritual realm. In fact, I think the enemy's main tactic in a lot of these countries is to freak people out and to make them live in fear. And we were in Thailand a number of years ago with our friends uh, Ray and Candace, and we, we saw some crazy stuff. And then they've, they've told me some stories since. And in some of these countries, there's just this tendency for the spiritual realm to be just so much clearer, so much um, on the surface. Now, C.S. Lewis, anybody heard of C.S. Lewis? Brilliant writer, brilliant author and thinker. Uh, he talks about, in one of his books called Screwtape Letters, he talks about one of the primary ways that he thinks the demonic and, and, and spiritual realm works for us in Western nations is to be incognito, essentially. 
that he pl- he's planning thoughts, he's oppressing behind the scenes, but very rarely um, allows that to be seen on the surface level because we come from a naturalistic, for many people, a naturalistic way of thinking that everything is from natural causes. And because of that, he's able to do great harm in people's lives without them really even knowing about it. And so I believe there is a spiritual realm and that Satan is trying to take people out and keep people from knowing Jesus and keep people from experiencing the freedom and the joy and the life that Jesus brings to them. Now, so back to my story. Um, We were up there, we were hearing all this crazy stuff, and they prayed for this girl all night that night. And the next morning, she was just exhausted. Everybody was exhausted because whatever they did all night praying for, it didn't work. And so I remembered this little story from the Gospels where Jesus, the disciples, are trying to cast a demon out of somebody, and it doesn't work. And finally, the guy, like, brings, you know, his, his kid to Jesus, and Jesus takes care of the situation, casts the demon out, and because he's Jesus, right? The disciples ask him, why didn't it work? And he said, some kinds of demons only come out by prayer and fasting. And this is one of those situations. And so I remembered that, and I told the base letter, hey, I remember that one scripture, you know, some kinds of only come out by prayer and fasting. And so we called the all-base fast that day and prayed, and whatever it was, was gone. And God's used that that young lady in, in some really cool ways since that point. So all that to say, starting with that weird, odd story, to communicate this, that prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. That God uses the prayers of his people in powerful ways. And this series is called My Circle. And it's based around this little phrase that as our our staff leadership prayed about a year ago, we said, God, where are you leading us in in this next season? And we didn't know that was going to be uh, actually just shutting the church down and going video for a few months, right? But where are you leading us? And the thing that God impressed us was this phrase. That as we looked around at the church and just some people that were being so effective in reaching people in their community, in their circle of influence, this is the phrase that God brought to our hearts and mind. My circle, my responsibility. Would everybody say that out loud? My circle, my responsibility. And here's what we know from Scripture, that as Jesus followers, if you're here and you're a Jesus follower, if you're still just checking out God, church, and the Bible, we're so glad you're here today. And you get to sort of, we're going to kind of pull back the curtain, and you're going to see one of the things that Jesus encourages us to do, and one of the things that motivates us to really love and serve and invite you into community, okay? So, um, but Jesus followers, as Jesus followers, we're called to the great commandment and to the great commission. That's something everybody's called to, the great commandment. Love God and the great, and what else? Love God and who? See if you're paying attention last week. You know this. Love God, love your neighbor, right? So love God, love others. That's the call of every follower of Jesus, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, to really care about the people in our lives. And we're called to the Great Commission, which is to share the good news of Jesus, which is the greatest news in the history of the world, that you can have peace with God, that you can have relationship with God, that you can be forgiven, that from the free gift of what Jesus did, you can spend eternity with Jesus in the kingdom of God. Amazing stuff, right? And every believer, we're called to great commandment. We're called to great commission. We're called to be used by God to influence others to follow Jesus. 
And so what we asked last week is, why don't we feel like it's our responsibility? Why isn't that bear more heavily on us? The responsibility to reach our circle, the place that God's placed us in. What is our circle? Well, it's our immediate family. It's our extended family. It's our coworkers. It's our people we go to school with, our pod. It's those you rub shoulders with on a day-in, day-out basis, your actual neighbors that live next door to you. That's your circle. God has strategically placed you in a place, in a moment of time, in order to be an influence and a light for Jesus. And so my goal last week was just really to get you to begin to be more intentional about influencing those in your circle toward Jesus. Just to be more intentional about that. And so my goal for all of us through this series is that we would all become so much more intentional about loving those in our circle, about praying, about sharing, and about inviting. And today what I really want to focus on is the prayer part of that that God calls us to. Because as we started out by saying, prayer is powerful. Prayer is effective. James, the brother of Jesus, said that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective, that you, if you're a follower of Jesus, have a special relationship with your heavenly Father, and your prayers are powerful. They're effective. Prayer is one of the primary means that God uses to accomplish his work on this earth. We did a whole series around that idea and around the power of prayer. It was in November of 2019. If you go to our podcast, we didn't have our our video service yet, but if you go to our podcast, you can go back to November of 2019 and listen to that four-week series um, called Unseen, and we talk all about prayer and the power of prayer in believers' lives. So if you want to go catch up on that, you can do that. But what you need to know today is prayer is powerful. I want to illustrate this to you in the life of the early church and the role that prayer Played. And if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts is written by the doctor, the physician, Luke, who also wrote the book of Luke. And he, he interviewed a whole bunch of eyewitnesses. And then for a whole bunch of the book of Acts, he's actually traveling right along with the Apostle Paul as they're seeing God, as they're planting churches in all these little villages and seeing God move powerfully. So that's his eyewitness bird's eye view of the birth of, of the early gathering assembly, the movement which is the church. All right, here we go. Verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And so we see in Acts 1 that that as the church begins to spread, the primary thing that propelled the message of Jesus around the world was the, the courage of these men. And what gave them the courage to live their lives for this message was the fact that they had actually experienced the risen Lord, that their friend Jesus had predicted his own death and resurrection and then pulled it off. And then over 40 days, they spent time with him. At one point, he appeared to more than 500 at once. And it was this conviction, it was this experience that had gave these guys the courage to live their lives for Jesus and to go on. The original followers, the disciples of Jesus, they would all go on to give their lives for Jesus, except for John, who he was boiled in oil. So that kind of counts, don't you think? I mean... Nobody wants to sign up for that, right? 
So they would all go on to live their lives and to die martyrs' deaths. And what propelled them was the fact that they had actually witnessed and seen their resurrected Savior. That gives you some courage when Jesus said, you too, you'll see eternal life. But death isn't the final word for you too. The fact that they didn't fear death gave them an incredible courage to reach out to the rest of the world with the message of Jesus. All right, verse um, four. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority. But, and check this out, this is their mission. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. You'll be my witnesses. And here's how you're going to carry out this job. We saw the Great Commission last week, right? Go into all the world and make disciples. And literally in the Greek, as you go, as you go about your life, as you go into all the world, make disciples. Go into all the world, preach the gospel in Mark. You would make disciples. You'd share the good news of Jesus, the Great Commission. And he says, and here's, here's the pattern. Here's how I want you to do it. Start in your hometown. Walk across the street. Jerusalem. Just walk across the street. Your circle. This is your circle. And then from there, yeah, you're going to go to Judea, to the wider region, and then beyond the borders, and then to the uttermost ends of the earth. Now, we all have a part in reaching the uttermost ends of the earth as we give, as we support. Some of you, you're called to go and called to reach these areas very hands-on. But you know what every single one of us is called to do? to walk across the street. We're called our circle, the people that God has placed in our life. My circle, my responsibility. It's our responsibility. He's called us to it. And this is the pattern. He says, I want you to do this, and you're not going to go alone. Guess what? You're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And, and one thing that you got to notice in the Scripture is that the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is is not just for ourselves, not just so we can live more close and connected to Jesus. The Holy Spirit enables us to do that. The Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit leads us. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us, which means he grows us into better followers of Jesus, into closer followers of Jesus. The Holy Spirit produces amazing fruit in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's awesome stuff, but it doesn't stop there. You know, the primary purpose, in my opinion, reading the book of Acts, of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, do you know what it is? To reach others. And let me just say, if you want to experience the presence and the power of God in your lives in dramatic ways, in ways that are um, beyond just you, start orienting your life to reach others. Start being about the business that God is about in this world, which is seeing the gospel in, impact the lives of others, seeing people influenced towards Jesus. Let me say, those are the moments you're going to begin to experience the power of the Holy Spirit moving and doing some amazing stuff in your life. 
And so here, here, here's how this little passage ends. I think it's kind of funny. Verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going. <laughs> now, I just picture this, and I, there's so much humor in the Bible. If you just stop to actually read it and, like, picture what's going on in this. Because Jesus, they're out of the Mount of Olives. They've just had a picnic lunch, and Jesus drops this huge thing on them, right? We, they've had the Great Commission. Now Jesus, at this moment, says, wait, go to Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit, because you can't do this on your own. I've seen the way you bumbling guys do this. So wait for the Holy Spirit, and then you're going to be my witnesses. First, across the street, and then, you know, to the very ends of the earth, you're going to be my witnesses. And then, as Jesus finishes the sentence, all of a sudden, lift off. Can you imagine that? Boop. And they, would, they were doing exactly what you and I would be doing. They're going. And apparently, they stay there too long <laughs> because apparently Jesus ascends and, uh, you know, uh, goes into the heavenly realm. And he's like, what are they doing? They're just standing there. I gave him a job to do. And so he sends a couple angels. Check this out. Um, they were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand there looking into the sky? Close your mouths. This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Don't worry, he's coming back. But in the meantime, he's given you a mission. He's given you a job to do. He's, he's given you something to do on this planet, so you better get to it. You better do what he's left you here to do, right? Verse 12, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together. What does this say here? constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers, which is an incredible evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. Because what would your brother have to do to convince you he was the son of God? Yeah, his brothers didn't believe in him until after he rose from the dead. So they, they are constantly in prayer. And in chapter 2, we see that they're doing what God told them to do. They go to the upper room. They're praying. They're waiting. And in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes in power. It's, it's a day we know as Pentecost. And, and when the Holy Spirit comes in power, all these people hear the gospel preached to them in all these different languages. It's this amazing thing. And the Holy Spirit comes in power, and it results in many people finding Jesus. Check this out in chapter 2, verse 41. It says, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 day one. That's amazing fruit, isn't it? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the, to the word of God, right? To fellowship, one anothering. That's what we call that around here. Caring for one another, being with one another, supporting one another. And to the breaking of bread, eating with each other, celebrating the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. These are the things that were number one. Prayer, prayer, prayer. Such a huge part. And then in chapter 3, it's this cool 
story. I'm just summarizing the first couple chapters of the book of Acts for you here. Chapter 3. Peter and John are going up to the temple to pray, and they meet a lame man on the way. Um, and if you grew up in the Sunday school, you know the song, right? Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. Anybody remember that song? A few of us. Old Sunday school song. But they, they see this guy who had been lame for years and years and years and years. Been sitting outside the temple begging, and all of a sudden, um, he's healed by God, by God's power. Everybody goes crazy. Peter preaches this powerful sermon, just like he did in chapter 2. Preaches a powerful sermon, and that day another 2,000 people joined the Jesus movement. 2,000 people believe. It's, a, it's an incredible day. Well, this doesn't go over well with the, the rulers and the authorities the guys that crucified Jesus. And so, so they haul Peter and John in. They throw them in prison overnight. The next day, they bring them up, and they're grilling them, asking them questions. What are you doing preaching in this name? What are you doing preaching the resurrection from the dead? You can't do that. And Peter looks at them, and he, he busts out with this incredible little statement. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, this is Acts 4.8, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. This is intense. These are the guys, the guys that crucified Jesus. He like points them out. You crucified. But whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, he quotes from the Old Testament, which has become the cornerstone. And get this, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Not powerful. This is Peter. He's bold. He speaks out. There's no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is the guy who just weeks before this, Peter, just weeks before this, when he's in the courtyard, there's a young teenage girl there, and she goes, hey, aren't you with Jesus? You're one of his followers. And he's like, no, not me. Three times, he denies Jesus. This is the same guy now. But this is a very different Peter, isn't it? And so the authorities don't know what to do. They're just arguing with each other. What do we do with these guys? Because the dude that was healed, standing right there, everybody knew it. Nobody could deny there was, like, a miracle that happened. Not even the rulers. They'd seen this guy. So they drag him back in, and they threaten him with violence. They threaten him, and Peter goes, well, you know, we can either obey you or God. I think I know which direction we're going to go. Remember, these guys personally witnessed their resurrected Savior. They're not afraid of death anymore. What could you do if really, if that sunk into you, your heart? A people who's not afraid of death? How powerful. How powerful. And so they threaten them, and then Peter and John go back to the rest of the believers. And Peter and John come back and give this amazing report, and they all pray together. The church prays together. And they say, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Did you catch what they prayed for? Boldness. To share Jesus. Compare that to most of our prayers. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, Lord, help me with this test. I don't really want to study that hard, but would you help me anyway? Come on, you've prayed that. Oh, Lord, I didn't do a good enough job. You better help show up, please. We've all prayed that, haven't we? Oh, Lord, I pray you would just help us protect us, Lord. Protect us. Lord, there's people that kind of don't like us. Protect us. Anybody prayed for protection? Yeah. It's not a bad thing. Lord, bless me. Bless my family. It's actually a good thing to pray. Pray, Lord, heal Aunt Missy. That's fine. That's good. But what I want to show you is the difference in the power of their prayers. Because all those things are fine, and, and God cares about all the things that burden our hearts. We cast our cares on him, right? But what do these guys pray for in the midst of threats from the people that had actually crucified Jesus? They pray for what? For boldness. If you want to see God move powerfully in your life, start praying prayers that are a little bit bigger than yourself. Start praying prayers that are like, God, what do you want to do? Who do you want to reach through me? Lord, give me opportunities. Guess what? You're going to start seeing him move. Begin to orient your prayers towards the stuff God is really about in this world, which is seeing the gospel brought to all people, seeing people follow him. Because they do that, and man, the place is shaken. How important is prayer in the life of the early church? Listen to what the Apostle Paul said about prayer. 1 Timothy chapter 2, he said, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Come on, guys, be praying. I urge you to pray for all people. Be praying for them. For kings, and then he gets some, some specific people. For kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. So be praying for those in authority, but be praying for all people. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Prayers for all people. What are you praying for? Well, I think primarily if you use the next verse as a reference, God, would you reach them? Would you save them? You know the answer to the awful, godless ruler, the ultimate answer, is for God to reach them, for God to save them, for God to change their heart, for the people in your life and your circle, for the people you struggle with, that neighbor that just drives you crazy. Maybe you have one of those. You just struggle. They're kind of hard to love, if you be honest. Their dog barks all night, and they don't stop the dog. You've thought about solving the problem, but you haven't. That's a good thing. Be a good Christian. That God would reach people. That God would save people. That God would encounter people. That he would draw them to himself. That they would get to be forgiven and spend eternity with him. You know the guy who writes this, and I think the reason he writes this and why this is so powerful and profound is because Paul, remember what Paul was doing the first time we met him in Acts, if you grew up in church? He was breathing out murderous threats against the church. He was presiding approvingly over the death of the first martyr, Stephen. 
And then he was going with authority from the rulers to go haul Christians back from like other towns and cities, hours and days journeys away, and haul them back and throw them in jail. Now, as bad of a sinner as some of you are, I don't think you compare to Paul. And here's the point. No one is beyond the reach of Jesus. And so Paul says, I want you to pray for all people. I want you to pray for the people in your circles. I want you to pray for those people that drive you crazy. When, when that person just comes to your heart and your mind, and you're so angry at them, pray for them. Pray for them. Because God can reach them. There's no one that is beyond the reach of Jesus. Paul would say, trust me, I know it. I am the worst of sinners. He says that. And when he says that, he means it literally. I persecuted Jesus. In fact, that's the first thing Jesus says when he appears to him in a blinding flash of light. Paul, why are you persecuting me? No one's beyond the reach of Jesus. So, so Paul says, pray for them. This is why Jesus gathered his disciples in Matthew and in Luke and said, hey, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There are so many people that would respond to the message of Jesus and the love of Jesus. But guess what? The workers are few. He says, so I want you to pray to God that, that workers would go out and reach people and influence people for Jesus and preach the gospel. And you know what Jesus says right after that? I think the disciples, he gathers the 70 together, first the 12, and then he sends them out. Then he gathers the 70, he says, pray that God will send workers out. And they're like, yes, Lord, we pray that. Then he says, good, go. Like the next word, sentence, Go. And this is one of the reasons why we're called to pray for those in our lives is because as you pray, God will sensitize your heart to those in your life who maybe do not know him yet. And guess what? You're going to start seeing opportunities. As you begin praying for people, when you begin praying, you will have a heart to reach people. You will become more aware of opportunities. You will begin to see your circle as your responsibility. And so we're called to pray. We're called to pray. And in Luke chapter 10, right after Jesus says that, he goes on and he gives them instructions. And there's this amazing pattern for reaching people that Jesus sends his people as he sends the 70 out ahead of him. And we can learn a lot from it when it comes to influencing others in our circles towards Jesus. And so today I want to I give you four simple steps that, that you, as you follow Jesus, that you can use to begin influencing people in your lives Toward Jesus. Four easy things. You might want to write these down. You might want to take a picture of the screen or something just to help you remember this, but it's really easy. So you may not even need it. Here's the first one. Love people in your circle. Like it all is motivated and starts out of love. But we're called to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love others as ourselves. And if you love people, you're going to want to see them encounter Jesus, hear the greatest news in the history of the world, spend eternity with Jesus and with you, right? Just it's motivated out of love. If you love people, you're going to have a heart that they meet Jesus. How do you love people? Will you be a blessing in their lives? Be a blessing in the lives of those in your circle. Speak blessing into their lives. That you're for them, right? Be for people. Lead with love. Too many times we, we as Christians um, don't lead with love, and it's given Christians a bad name. It's given Jesus a bad name. Lead with love. That God loves people, that he wants to see them. Be a blessing to their kids. You know one of the greatest ways you can reach people in your circle is to love their kids? If you treat my kids great, man, 
<laughs> I like you. Be a blessing to their kids. Build relationship with them. Just hang out. Have a barbecue. Eat some good barbecue. Do I have to tell you guys that more than once? Can, guys in the room, could I get an amen maybe from that? Okay. It's not that hard, huh? Have some barbecue. Care about people's stories. Like get involved with the people that God's called. Listen. You know, just listening to people, instead of always being the one speaking, listen. Understand where people are coming from. Get to know people. Love people in your circle. That's number one. That's what motivates us to reach people. And if you love people, here's what's going to happen. And here's, here's the next step. Is pray for people in your circle. You want to pray for people. And this step is really between you and God. This is between you and God and your family sometimes. I would encourage you, gather your family. If, you're, if, you're, uh, if you have a family, um, gather your family or get with your spouse or if you're single, maybe a roommate or, or by yourself. You don't live with anybody. Um, by yourself and just begin praying for the people in your lives or praying in a small group um, that God will begin to reach people in your circle. Begin praying, Lord, would you reach people? Pray that God will bring people into their lives to influence them. And again, when you pray that, guess who's probably going to be nominated? Just telling you, warning you. But that's a good thing. Pray that God will bring people in their lives. Pray for the boldness to be used by God when, when he taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, now would be a good time to open your mouth and encourage or pray, like in person. Pray, God, would you give me boldness just to share about you, to be a light for you? You begin praying for people. You're praying for them. And this is so important. This is so powerful. Just like Paul says, pray for all people. You begin praying that God would draw them to himself. God, I want you to reach them. Would you reach them, Lord? Would you allow our family to reach them? Would you let us be a light to them? Father, would you reach them? We want to see them um, fall in love with you. My little girl is so good at this. She, she prayed for her great-grandma. Um, and, and the week before her great-grandma died, she accepted Jesus. Now she's got her sights set on someone else in the family extended family. Pray for people. You know, it's so cool as we were building this series, and just last week, actually, I talked to a couple different families that God has really been using to reach people in their circle, in, in our church family. And the thing that was in common with, with, with both of these families is that they said, man, it just started with praying for people. One of them, like, man, they're awesome. They invite people. They, like, fill up rows. <laughs> And they're like, yeah, this has been the result of years of prayer for these people. God's brought them into our lives years ago, and we've just been praying for them and praying for them and praying for them. And then guess what? When the time comes, they invite, and they share Jesus. They're praying for people. Another family, they said, hey, we just started, one year we just started praying for a family, then every year we started adding a family. Or every week after that, for the Advent season, we just added a family that we were praying for. God's powerful. He's been moving. That's a powerful thing. So you're going to love people in your circle. You're going to pray for. You're going to pray for. And then you're going to pray with. Now, this is a little scarier. And for some of you, this will be really scary. But let me just say, here's a question I want you all to repeat out loud right now. Because this is one of the best tools you can use to influence people towards Jesus. One of the most powerful questions you can ask. Can everybody say that together? Can I pray for you? Now, you're a little tentative, so let's try it one more time. 
Can I pray for you? One more time. Can I pray for you? See, that wasn't so hard, was it? Now, this might feel a little bit awkward, but let me tell you, this is one of the most powerful things you can do to begin to see Jesus moving in the lives of your friends and in your family. Why? Um, One of the reasons is because it's one of the most simple and least awkward ways you can bring Jesus into conversations in your circle. Just asking people to pray. People, you, you invite somebody to church, they may turn you down a few times. Keep inviting, you know, politely. Don't be a, a jerk about it. But let me tell you, nine out of ten people, you ask them, can I pray for you? The answer is going to be yes. Even atheists, a lot of times. Sure, why not? What's it going to hurt, right? So many people have the idea and know somehow that there's power in prayer. You ask to pray for somebody? Sure, absolutely. So why do we pray for people? We, we want to pray with people because we serve a living God who loves to come and meet people in their need. And as we saw earlier in, in Acts, who moves especially powerfully in connection with the gospel going out. Like I said, if you want to see God move powerfully through your life, begin to orient your life towards seeing the gospel reach people in your circle and begin to pray for him, and God's going to show up. Also, prayer, ask, can I pray for you? And you pray for somebody right there. They know who to come to when there's a need because they know somebody who will pray for him. You might become the pastor of your neighborhood just by asking this simple question. And that's exactly the point of Ephesians 4, to equip all the saints, that's all you, all believers, for the work of the ministry, is that in whatever your sphere of influence is, you would be positioned in a place where you're ready to pray for people and minister to their need. So you've loved them, you've been praying for them, they haven't known that necessarily yet, and then when God brings up a need, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're listening, if you know people, if you're listening to their story, you're going to know when the appropriate time is to say, hey, can I pray for you in that? When should you pray for people? Just keep your ears open. Listen for, hey, we're having a hard time with our kid right now, or, man, our marriage is, we're just kind of struggling right now, or our finances are on the rocks right now, or I've got this health thing that comes up. If you really love people and you've been praying for them and you've been listening to them, you're going to be ready. And you're going to have already set yourself up in a position where, where people know you love them. They're going to share stuff like that. And when that happens, you have the opportunity to say, wow, I can't fix that, but I, I serve a God who can, who can move in that situation? Can I pray for you? Let's pray together. How do you pray? Well, I'll tell you the best way, and that is right now. Can I pray for you? Right now. Let's, let's pray. Just say, hey, can I place a hand on your shoulder? Always ask. I don't know why, but there's something in the scriptures you see about laying on hands. It's, it's, it's just part of what God uses. Can I place a hand on your shoulder? And just pray for you right now. And when you do that, you pause and you wait. Can I pray for you right now? Okay, I'm just going to kind of be quiet for a moment and wait to see if, if God would, um, what God wants to do here. And just wait on God. And pray the thing that God puts on your heart over them. Maybe he gives you something that he feels would be a word of encouragement to them. You, you, you can share that with them. But the biggest key is just to pray for them in that moment, that God would, would reach them, that God would touch their heart. Praying right now is the best thing. You know, to just say, I'll pray for you and never follow up, it's just a platitude. It's just something we say to make each other feel better. You realize that, right? 
Because come on, here's the thing. You've said it. You've done this. You're like, oh, I'll pray for you. And then you forget. And then it's like a week after, you know, the surgery or whatever, and you're like, oh, no, I forgot. And so you quick pray a prayer like you're like, God, you're outside of space and time. So I'm going to pray now, thinking that retroactively you can do something in this circumstance so that way when they ask, I can say, I prayed for you. Anybody? Just me. Okay. I thought so. You guys are so much better than me. I don't know why they give me the mic. Come on, we forget, don't we? A lot of times, it's just the phrase, I'll pray for you. It can just be a platitude. Praying for you right now, man, that makes a difference. Now, let me just say, um, sometimes it, it is okay, I think, to say, hey, we'll be praying for you. Um, a guy in my small group, Greg, he would tell some of his clients, hey, um, that's going on in your life. I'm going to take that, and we're going to pray about it as a small group. And he'd bring that to a small group. We'd pray about it. And then he'd go back and check in and say, hey, we prayed for you. Now, that's a good thing to do. There's circumstances where that sometimes is better. But let me tell you, if it's somebody in your immediate circle, in the circle around you, I almost guarantee you there's going to be an appropriate moment just to say, hey, can I just pray for you? Can I invite God into this situation? Because I believe God is alive and active. You put a hand on their shoulder and pray for them. Pray for them right now. Invite God to move. It doesn't have to be fancy. One of the reasons why you're scared to do this is because you think it has to be flashy or fancy. It doesn't have to be. You're like, I don't know what to say. You just pray for God. God, would you bring a sense of peace in this situation? God, would you heal? Does he? Sometimes. Sometimes he doesn't. God, would we just ask for this? Would you heal? God, would you let them know you love them? Would you let them feel your presence? Lord, would you help them in this situation? God, would you provide for them? It doesn't have to be fancy. You just pray. Um, good prayer could just be, God, I, I don't know what to pray, but could you just help fix this? That's okay. You don't have to like, you don't have to try to sound like Tim, Pastor Tim, right? Like, good thing. Can I pray for you? One of the most powerful ways you can bring Jesus into the conversation. Now, let me just ask you, why wouldn't you do that? Because it feels awkward? If you've never done this before, it feels less awkward the more you do it. But if you've never done this before to ask, can I pray for you? And then actually pray for somebody right now, it feels a little awkward. Especially if we can be honest, especially for dudes in the room, right? Let me just speak to the dudes in the room, dudes. Because ladies are a lot better at this. You just are. Um, guys, you know, you're, you're with a friend, and he kind of brings up something really hard that's going on. And, and it feels awkward, doesn't it? There's this tension. You're like, what do I say? Well, the thing to say is, can I pray for you? Because you don't know what the right thing to say, which is why you say something stupid most of the time, right? You're like, well, everything will be okay. No, it won't, dummy. That's just a platitude. That's just something you say because you feel awkward and you don't know what to say. So you just spew out something, some platitude to make to, to relieve the tension in the room, right? Instead, you could actually bring the problem before a God who's actually alive and can do something about it, right? Awkward isn't a good excuse. It just isn't. Ask, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? And pray with them right there. All right, and the last thing in influencing Jesus, last thing I want to share with you is share and invite. And I'm not going to tell you anything about that. You got to come back next week, okay? And if you're not here, go back and catch up. 
But here's my goal through this, is that for every person who calls this church their home church, that you would begin to be very intentional about loving people, about praying for people, about sharing and inviting, that you would become intentional. It wouldn't just be an afterthought. This would be something that burns in your heart, that you begin praying daily for those in your circle of responsibility, that you would love people, that you would build relationship with people. I'm going to invite Winston up for a moment. I want you to remember to love, to pray for, and to pray with. And so here's what I'm asking you to do, either as an individual, with a roommate, with your family. Would you gather together and and figure out who in your circle you're going to start praying for? And then would you put it as a regular part of your day? Maybe it's at dinner if you you gather um, for dinner. This is one of the most powerful things you can do with your kids. And we're telling your kids some of this, too, this weekend. So they're going to help keep you accountable. They're good at that, aren't they? Would you start as a family, if you have a family, or as a a couple roommates, or just, just start praying for people and say, man, we have these people in our life that are disconnected from Jesus. They haven't been to church in 10 years. We have these people in our lives that we don't know if they've ever connected to Jesus. We want to start reaching them. Would you begin praying for them, loving them, and then when God brings the right opportunity, and trust me, you'll know it, the Holy Spirit will just, like, poke you in the back. You'll Figuratively. You'll just go, now's the time, and you'll be freaked out. you got to get over the awkward. Say, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? And just invite God to move in the moment. Here's what I know. If we all began doing this, I think it would change our community and it would change our world. It would go on to change our community. And the ripples would change our world. It's the prayers of the early church that led to the boldness that went on to change the world. What if God used us to reach our community and our world in the same way? Would you do that this week? Now, here's how I want to close. Winston's just going to strum. Normally, I close just by praying for you. I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes right now. Would you just ask God, God, who in my circle do you want to reach? Would you pray and ask him that right now? If he brings somebody or some people to your mind now, would you just begin to pray for them? Would you bring, begin to pray that God would start moving in their lives in a way that they know it's him? Would you begin praying that God would use you and show you the opportunities to speak into their lives right now? Would you pray and ask God that he would give you the boldness to get over the awkward? Let me just say for for those in the room um, that you may not have really committed your life to following Jesus yet, with, with every head still bowed and eyes closed, some of you are here because somebody loved you and has been praying for you and invited you and they've been sharing with you. And today might be your day. The gospel is is simple. We can't make it to God on our own, but he made the way. And so we fully place our faith and trust in Jesus. 
We turn from, from a life that's been moving away from him, that's been lived in selfishness and sin, and we say, God, Jesus, we want to follow you. And if that's you, I just want to invite you to pray a prayer like this right after me. I place my faith and trust in you. Forgive me, Lord. Welcome me into your family. Give me eternal life. I want to turn my life to you and follow you for the rest of my days. Lord, for all my other friends, Lord, would you just impress this on their hearts? Would you just give them, um, just let them begin to reach their circle, Lord. Let them begin to love people and pray for people and pray with people and share and invite, Lord. Pray that you would do that, that you would reach our community and the ripples would go on to reach our world, Lord. We love you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.